You are listening to Wait a Minute with Beth and Jessica. Episode 65. I'm Jessica Pearson, Certified Life Coach. And I'm Beth Barnett-Babel, Integrative Nutrition Therapist. We keep our eyes peeled for things in the media or in real life that come from diet culture or that perpetuate diet culture in some way. These are often the subtle ways it creeps in, which is why we're shining a light on it and sharing it with you. So, Beth, you're in Japan still. You just moved to Kyoto. Yes, very traditional Kyoto background here. It's very cute, very cute. So I'm just curious, like, what are you seeing any diet culture there? Like, what is in the media for you or in your Um, algorithm now that your IP address is somewhere else? They're very, very, very into skin culture here, like skin care. And like, there's a whole like skin routine that you do in evening bathing culture. But, you know, I wouldn't classify that as diet culture per se. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Let's back up. Evening bathing culture. That sounds kind of amazing. Oh, yes. (laughs) So in everybody's home, they also have a small bath. And it's part of the nighttime ritual to take a bath, like pre-wash off, sit on the little stool or stand in the shower. Both options have been provided to us at each place we've stayed at, plus hotels. And then there's like a bathtub. There's like a shower space. And then all in one one little enclosed room and then right next to it is the bathtub and they auto fill you can make them in some of the more modern houses you can make them auto fill and stay a certain temperature and like do this whole thing and so yeah you do that at night before bed and then the women have like a whole routine so you you wash with like the cleansing oil to get all the goopity goop off and then you wash with like a wash wash and then you put on all your lotions and potions I mean, this just sounds like top tier self care. I'm a little jealous. <laughs> yeah. So that's the the main ads I get from here. And then when I go out and about, like I really don't see anything per se that is like. I mean, it is like very much like a image based culture. But I would say that what I know about South Korea is that it does feel less intense than South Korea. But I don't see things specifically tied to weight. It's about your skin looking a certain way. Everybody walks around with their umbrellas and with things to cover their hands and arms to prevent getting too much sun on your skin for skin damage. But I wouldn't say that. And then I would say that if you were an average size US woman, it would could be potentially challenging to shop here because the sizes tend to, especially particularly pants, tend to run smaller. Even so, a lot of things are oversized, but the waist size I have not seen like expanded versions of waist sizes. Unless you go to like H and M or Zara or one of those types of stores. Yeah, you posted a photo. You did a cooking class, and the person that was your teacher, she was very petite, and so I was small. like, Beth looks well, six feet tall. Well, I will say that she was smaller than the average (laughs) person around me. So, but I still, I would say that like a lot of the women are my height. They tend to be a little bit smaller. Is being in in a new ratio, like you were, it's like now that the average people are smaller than you, is that giving you any thoughts or like, do you feel like you're comparing yourself against this different body size? 
I don't think so. No, because the men are like their body structure seems smaller. Right. right? Like, like I am a different like because of my cultural and ethnic background, my body size is a little different. Like my actual frame of my structure is different. And so, no. And even so, it's interesting is because the clothes are all oversized. They still look weird on me. They look great on them, but I still am drowning myself in fabric. Well, I don't know. It does seem that like my guess is, is that if I were to talk to people about larger body sizes, there probably would be judgments there from cultural standpoint. But since I can't really communicate with anybody, I don't really know. But get just kind of like reading the general room. That's interesting because it's kind of like from what I've gathered. Yeah, people just it's not ideal to be larger, but I don't see a lot of discussion about why. Like here, it's just like, if you're fat, you're unhealthy or, you know, it's just like so very overt and negative where they're, they're like, well, we don't talk about it, but this is just what we do. Yeah. I will say I've had a couple where conversations have (laughs) taken place. Like we went to a couple of restaurants where it was like, we sat at the counter and could talk to the chef and they had some, they had more we had more ability to communicate and then at a local at our neighborhood bar that we had like in our little alleyway they mentioned something about normally americans that come to their restaurant are very big and eat a lot more and so they were like sort of surprised we weren't eating more and then i was like yeah our portion sizes are larger at home you know so anyways i just was like oh you know you try to just be like um, yeah. yeah, and so they they do have a perception about Americans. Yes, they definitely do, I would well, say. Well, I feel like this is the perfect segue into what we we're going to talk about today, so we'll just, like, skip other things that we had on the Yeah, 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 totally, yeah. So I feel like this is a great segue into what you shared with me that had been on your mind, which is hunger and just adjusting your own appetite to the surroundings that you're in, being that the portion size are smaller. Yeah, I'm always curious about hunger, even at home, because it's a topic that we talk a lot about with our clients. And so it's something that has been on my mind. And we talk, we help our clients understand the hunger scale. And so what's interesting is, is that, you know, when I was here, I really, really noticed it because of how small the portion sizes are and having at first I was like, wait, that's it. That's dinner. Like we're done. And so I was just like, oh, okay. And so, but I would be like, oh wait, but I'm actually not hungry anymore. I actually feel satisfied and never, and only like twice have I left a restaurant going, being like, oh man, I am really full. Like in cases that you would do more frequently at home in a restaurant. And so I really started to notice that difference of like the norms of the portion sizes here and how I felt and then had to like wrap my head around like, oh no, it's okay. Were you able to accept it or you're like, we got to stop at the 7-Eleven? I was fine. Like, no, I was actually fine and adjusting to it. And then I was only would have to do that. I always just really check in with my son who is like uh, voraciously eating right now and be like, are are you okay? Like, do you need more food? But yeah, he's a growing teenage boy and he's like, I am starving. (laughs) 
Yeah, so that's all I have to say about that. Like, that's really where, like, I just really started to, like, think more about Yeah, it's not hunger. something that we just sit around and ponder. But hunger is just not as easy as, like, I'm hungry, I'm full. It's a spectrum that's influenced by all of our senses and emotions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you think about that, the sayings of my eyes were bigger than my stomach or you may not even think about food or your hunger until you smell something delicious or smell something familiar. And so all of those things, our senses can influence whether we feel hungry or not. And then, you know, how much we might eat, we might put on our plate because we might, our eyes find it all so delicious looking. So we put more than we might really want to eat because of that. Yeah. Which plays into that whole idea of like, just because you have a lot on your plate doesn't mean that you have to finish it if you get full, which is a real challenge for a lot of us, you know, especially when you're eating something that you really love or that tastes really good to like Mm -hmm. check in and say, oh, yeah, like I thought I could eat all this, but I actually feel good about stopping right now. (laughs) That seems to be such a simple thing, but so many people struggle with just that connection. Yeah, I think, yeah, that's the the connection part. Another thing to consider is increasing or decreasing hunger on hormone fluctuations or neurotransmitters like serotonin and dopamine. So if you're on medications that alter those, those can increase or decrease your hunger. Estrogen and progesterone can increase and decrease hunger and types of foods that, you know, your body is sensing that it needs. And so we need to like really realize that hunger is very nuanced and not just kind of make it this black or white thing like everything else. Yeah, especially the hunger hormones, you know, like eating when you're full or eating when you're hungry and stopping when you're full. Because sometimes if those hormones are disrupted, then I could have just eaten. But then 30 minutes later, I'm like feeling hungry again. And then I might be I might say, oh, you know what? Like I have to talk myself through that type of hunger where it's like, it's okay. You're not going to die. Like it would be okay to maybe wait another 30 minutes to check back in and see if that hunger is still there. Mm -hmm. Where I think sometimes, you know, we talk about like intuitive eating, people are like, just eat when you're hungry. And it's like, well, yes, but maybe not always like playing around with hunger. Uh And then hunger is also, like you said, it's emotional where some people also are afraid to feel hunger. Like it triggers some kind of nervous system reaction where they feel unsafe or nervous or anxious when they start to feel hungry. So they really try to avoid feeling hungry because it's not a safe place for them right yeah Um, or and even on that flip side of working with people when well where does it feel comfortable and normal for you to stop at feeling full sometimes people are stuck at that very full feeling like for some people yeah comfortable but for them that's what feels comfortable and yeah feeling over full feels comfortable like it's a sensation that makes you feel satisfied yeah and And so so then they feel uncomfortable being less full than that so then there it drives that hunger feeling yeah which i feel like you got a taste of that in this experience in japan even though you did it was not as extreme you're like well i'm not getting as full as i'm used to Mm -hmm. it's like it's just a different experience Yeah, it's a different experience. Yes. What did you say to yourself? Like if we're talking to clients about this and we're trying to encourage them to try this, like how did you do that in this realm where you're like, okay, it's okay. I don't need to eat more. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I would be like, well, I actually don't 
have that physical, I know what that physical feeling of hunger feels like, even having eaten. It's like, no, I definitely did not get enough food that my, my brain and my stomach are saying, nope, we need some more. So I know that feeling, which not a lot of people have. So I'm, I do have an advantage of being very in touch with that. But also I would step back and be like, well, because you do have a moment, especially at like Amakaze, you can say, I would like to try this or can I have a little bit more of that? Like you do get to have that opportunity. And so, but before that would happen, I would be like, well, okay, I've had da, 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 da. And I actually am not having that physical feeling. So I'm going to be okay. And I can go home and there's food everywhere all around and in my house. So if I need more food, I can eat more food. I just don't need to do it all right here at this moment. Yes. It's like the abundance mindset that I yeah. talk to clients about, which no matter what their history is, wherever they're at now, they do have resources. They do have abundance. They do have food in the fridge. In their minds, they're thinking like, I got to have this food, all of it right now. Mm-hmm. And I remind them like, you can eat food whenever you want as much as you want. And when you really believe that or remind yourself of that, then it's actually easier to stop because you're not trying to like make up for something or live from a place of scarcity or lack because you can eat anytime. And then it just feels easier to kind of let go of that attachment. Yeah. And so, I mean, I know that people will be like, well, not everybody has that luxury. Yeah, that might be sure. their only time. And I totally get that like a hundred percent get that that's that this situation is for a lot of people there is food scarcity and so that is their time and so this conversation is not about that this conversation those are two very different things and so we could talk just to that but that would just be its own conversation. And so For I just kind of want to like, you know, distinguish that. Disclaimer. We, I do know yeah. the difference between yes. between the two. Yes, absolutely. Yes. So, so anyways, that being said, it is very much like a thing that you have to be able to briefly for me, it's, it is briefly uncomfortable, but for some while learning, it might, you might be uncomfortable learning these hunger and full cues for a little bit right but i think that that's part of the process that's retraining your brain like the your brain neurons are used to a particular thing and if you do something different then it's like wait what's happening here and so that's what the discomfort is is that it's not used to going on its same railroad railroad track you've you're starting to go down a new track and the conductor does is like i hope this is safe so that's some of the discomfort that somebody would might sit in yeah i had a client last week that was like i want to go for walks but just even the idea doesn't even come into my mind (laughs) because she was like i don't even have like the moment to decide So when I think about hunger, I think about people who are like, well, I'm not even like deciding if I should start or stop because I'm just, it's not even occurring to me yet. So like, what would you say to those people? Well, then that's where it's like, well, then the first step is we have to start to build the awareness of connecting in with your plate or your bowl or whatever. And so you're 
they're the those individuals are disconnecting so they're not embodied with the situation and so then we have to start with we'll start to notice your food like be present with your food and i definitely work with a lot of folks on this is like well right like before we can get to hunger we got to step into this part and then we build from there why we often start and talk about slow eating because mm-hmm. when we go slower with our food, that gives us the space and time to pay more attention to what's happening Yes, with the food. Correct. Yeah. So a lot of people find it more, for whatever reason, they want to be distracted while they're eating. They want to be watching TV or reading something or checking email or what have you. And so I, we ask people to set that aside for even half the meal, because sometimes even a whole meal of that can be very uncomfortable. And so it's just like for half the time, can you just be with your food? You can let your thoughts run wild, but every once in a while, check in and you, you know, check in with your food and your plate and your, your stomach and see how are you feeling? And that's like, yeah. so that's, that is the first place and is actually groundbreaking. <laughs> yeah, it is groundbreaking, even though it's so simple, but you had made a note about emotional eating and just how We eat when we're not necessarily hungry for all sorts of reasons. And that media and the TV can play a role in that where it's like we have these connections of like, oh, I love to watch a movie and I have to have popcorn and M&Ms. Right. Yeah. The brain is an association maker. And so if you associate TV with popcorn a couple of times and it was fun and enjoyable, then your brain's like, oh. Let's keep doing that. TV, popcorn, TV, popcorn. And so then it's like this, this is the thing that we do. And so then when you try to unassociate those things, you are in, you're going to have discomfort. Yeah. And so then when we think about celebration with X, Y, and Z, this food goes with it because there is a positive association. Your brain's like, this is what we do because we do things that make us feel good. And then we don't have to think about what are the things that make us feel good? It just does it automatically, which is why, you know, you'll go to a function and you might feel uncomfortable because you're having to do the small, small talk nonsense that people don't like to do at functions and there's food there. So it's like, well, let me just eat this because this feels good to my anxiety or let me go to this family function and I eat these things even though I'm not really hungry because those things go together. Your brain is just doing its job of associating these different emotional things with the food. Yeah, I feel like my therapist called that coupling. Or something, yeah. You yeah. know, and it's like, yeah, to uncouple is not comfortable. And I have a lot of clients where it's like, oh, you're on your way to get your kid from school and you just want to go get a snack or you're on your way home from work and it's a long commute. So you got to go get a snack. And, you know, you just develop these habits yeah. that are not necessarily re- related to hunger. They're related to your, you know, desire for feeling something, really. Mm-hmm. That's not yeah. boredom. Wire in the car. Yeah. Yeah. And like the th- same thing happens like if we were to equate it to quitting smoking, you have to uncouple some habits. So people are used to lighting up after a meal or getting in their car, doing this certain thing. And so it's like, no, you totally. have to like change or I have it, my cigarette with my coffee in the morning. And those two things just go together. And it's like, so the coffee is no longer good because I'm not doing the thing. Well, it's just because your brain is like, but we're missing something. <laughs> You've changed the equation. And so that is uncomfortable and you just have to bring some positive thoughts or emotions to it. So your brain's like, oh, this is still good. So as long as we bring some positive things into the new pathway, it's going to be okay. Yeah. It needs that positive reinforcement to remember because if you keep saying discomfort, 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 
it's going to be difficult. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Well, let's back up just a hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We've gone straight into the psychology of it all, but just real quick, can you define hunger or, like, at least what you think hunger is? Yes. To me, hunger is that feeling of discomfort or weakness, like you're feeling off, and you're just like, I'm not firing on all cylinders. That is scientific term. <laughs> With the desire to eat. So that's what hunger can be, is that feeling that mental or physical discomfort plus the desire to eat. Yeah. I mean, I and think you... of it as just like a physical sensation. But if I had to describe it, it is not comfortable. So I guess it is discomfort. Yeah. It is your body's like, I need fuel. So you're Yeah, it's like a, a little dip. agitating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's and like... we want to get at like slightly, you know, that feeling but we don't want to be ravenous or hangry. Like we're don't wait until then. Like that's not the time to be like, no, now I'm hungry. Well, yeah, no, you should have eaten like an hour ago. <laughs> if you get to that point, you should have eaten an hour ago. <laughs> well, and a lot of people are just used to getting to the hangry point. Like that's just part of their daily structure is no breakfast, go, go, just go, 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 go. Cough, hangry. coffee. And then they're hangry at like one o'clock. Maybe they even push it to later and then they, you cannot make decisions. You just start eating whatever you can find. And yes. Then, and then you have a crash around three or four, and now you're looking for more sugar or caffeine to get you through the day. And that is just like, literally, I would say, I mean, this is not an accurate statistic, but if you had to guess the statistic, how many clients, like what percentage of our clients do you think come to us with that pattern? 60. I was going to say like 80. Yeah, I, well, 60% of my folks come in with that pattern. I, I, I guess I had a rash of lunch eaters at some point. Oh, good, in there. yeah. yeah. <laughs> Anytime someone's eating breakfast for lunch, I'm like, you are halfway there, sister. We are doing it. Yeah. And not to say that you have to have breakfast. There's no one right pattern or flow or structure to how anyone could or should be eating. And the point of this is to figure out, like, what does work for you? And so it's interesting, too, when we try to, like, somebody comes to us and they give us this, you know, their pattern, and then we suggest changes, and then there's some resistance. Because in their mind, I'm like, well, if it were working, you wouldn't be here. But all they can feel is, like, the discomfort of having to change. And so we have to Correct. work through that. Yes. Which is celebrating Yes, dis- we love discomfort. You know, something new. <laughs> <laughs> so I think one of my favorite things I learned about hunger in our eating psychology course was this idea that each relationship with food can mirror or somehow reflect your hunger for life. Yeah. Because it is so complex, yet nobody really thinks to take time to reflect on maybe that. Like, I'll ask clients that. They're like, what? <laughs> you know, so... But I just think your hunger and your overall desire is connected and intertwined. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, is all of your desire and joy coming from food in your life? It's easy and it's okay if it is because that's kind of the culture that we're in right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't have to do much. I can just literally sit at home and have food delivered to me and watch TV. Like, that can be all my joy and desire. I don't have to have hobbies. I don't have to do anything if I don't want to. Right. But it's like, is that pulling away from the expansion of my life you know so it's like what am I missing out on I still love food right but it's like not every desire or joy comes from food 
you are kind of left with this space to decide like, well, how do I want to fill my time and energy? Or what do I want to spend my energy on? How do I want to create joy? Where are my desires? What do I want to do with my life? I don't know. You might go to Japan for four months, you know? I don't know. (laughs) For food, by the way. (laughs) Yeah, you're like, I'm definitely eating my way through Japan. If you're not following Beth's personal account on Instagram, you should. Um, Because she's got all the ramen. I was like, you're going to come back a ramen expert. But it's not just ramen. ramen. You, like, go for bike rides and you did historical tour. Like, you're doing other things. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you have to eat in between... (laughs) (laughs) well you'd have to eat anyway i have a question so you know our relationship started with food as our soul connector so and we would talk about food we made food together we did all of our activities outside of school and work you and i we would hang out around food yeah we still do and we still do but there's been a shift yeah. So now we go because, you know, it's like, oh, we got to get out of our house. So <laughs> we need to go meet up somewhere. And so we pick food. But before it'd be like, okay, well, we got to try this restaurant. Like we knew every single new restaurant that was opening yeah. and we could talk about the chefs and all this other stuff. Do you remember when or what that shift was when you were like, I am no longer obsessed that's a big word, but obsessed with like... I was obsessed. I mean, I was a self-proclaimed foodie. I had a job where my literal title was foodie. Right, yes. Yeah, like I was a trained chef. I'm like, I love food so much I paid $18,000 to learn how to cook. <laughs> um, so I don't know what... Sh- I think what shifted is like, I think it was Brooke who asked this question. She was like, could you go to Italy? and not like make a reservation like imagine planning a vacation but she of course she chose italy because she knows that everyone that goes to italy wants to eat their way through italy right but like could you go and like just not think about the food and if, my initial reaction was like get out like why would like, i do that i'm firing you on <laughs> <Not> my coast <laughs> but then i just really i like the more that i thought about it the more i thought oh my god like yeah, like what else is there? And so I just started focusing on other things like, yeah, oh yeah, I do want to get out of the house. Oh yeah, I do want to talk to Beth. And like, I haven't seen you in real life in a while. Or like, you know, I want to connect. Like actually I have a birthday, it's not my birthday, it's a friend's birthday this week. And like she picked the restaurant and like normally I probably would like stock the menu or I would try to convince her to choose a specific restaurant or whatever, you know, but I'm like, don't know, don't care. Just showing up because I know that for me, it's not about the food. It's like, I want to catch up with these women that I haven't seen in months. Yeah. So I, I don't know exactly. Like, it wasn't like an official switch, but it, it does feel like that now in hindsight because I just don't think about it as much. Yeah. I think for me, the switch happened when I had more things on my plate that, you know, it just didn't feel as important. And then... Not to sound like an old, you know, curmudgeon woman, but it got to be where the places that were new and hip and interesting, it all started to be the same. It was different, but the same. It was too much, yeah. You know, and it's just like, I can only eat a fried Brussels sprout so many ways or a beet a new way or... A braised short rib. A braised short rib. And I was like, this is basically all the same thing and the cost is 
getting higher and higher. It's harder and harder to get in. And then I couldn't have a conversation with anybody. So it just became so loud. So loud. And I was like, I'm eating the same food. I can't have a conversation with anybody. So can I just go to the places where the it's everybody can get what they want to eat. I'm not spending $200 on dinner. Um, you know, you're wondering how you walked out having spent $200 on uh, dinner. Yeah. I mean, I, d I don't want to be cheap, but sometimes if something is like $100 or $200, I'm like, I could have gotten a massage. Like, I think of all the other things I could have spent the money on. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm just going to poop this out. This is like really <laughs> expensive poop, which is a very privileged way to think about that. I'm just, just such face back on that whole like... Yes. But I think food in that way has gotten out of control. Like it has gotten too expensive for yeah, what it is. And so it's just like that. It's like something I don't want to keep supporting that culture of. I want to go back to like normal checks and I want to go back to like enjoying the people that I'm with and not to be seen in a place and be like, oh, I got the reservation and things like that. Yeah. Um, so chasing the reservation of the, the new place is no longer important. And I just want to talk to people. So I'll go and like when I meet up with certain people, and I'm like, okay, well, this place is reliable food, and I know that we get to, like, have a conversation. And so it's just like, I may be kind of tired of eating it, but I don't really care because I'm there for the people. Yeah. And then I will say that having um, now here, the food here is very expensive to live here, but the food is very, very cheap unless you are doing, like, some very specific things. Like, if you're going to, like, a top-tier sushi place, yes, that is expensive. But you don't have to do that to experience good sushi. Yeah. Don't, don't get me wrong. If you got the reservation, I mean, I would go. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying that I wouldn't go. I'm not going to turn it down, but I'm not going to be the one to be, like, stalking the computer trying to get it or whatever. Correct. Um, yeah. So, honestly, I was just thinking there, there's probably another couple reasons. One is I know that I can live without it because I just tried it and I live to to survive it. So, there's been times where we've done, like, our detox program or where I've really focused on reducing sugar in my own life or reducing alcohol. I've gotten off coffee. Like, I have done... And this word is so triggering. I have restricted types of foods, but not for weight loss, just for the sake of rewiring my brain and experiencing my life without this overflow of serotonin and dopamine all the time. And when I don't have that, it, it, it does balance your hormones. We know that. And it does reduce your overall cravings and urges to overeat. And when I experienced that, I was like, this isn't hard. Like, I still get to eat a lot of really delicious food. I'm not depriving myself. And I feel good. And this is simple. And so I think maybe just because I've experienced that, like, it, like I, I lived to tell the tale. Like, I don't know. Yeah. It's like you just try something. And when you do it, you're like, oh, that's not that hard. You're like, oh, yeah, I don't need to go out to eat four times a week or whatever. You're like, yeah. I can make a simple like, I don't know, today for lunch, we had soup, salad and sandwich. And it was like leftover soup, half a sandwich that I grilled on the griddle and like, yeah, like simple salad. Yeah. So your hunger in life is expanding, but it's not tied to food. Yes. Like, I want an expansive life. I want to be hungry for other things besides food. Yeah. And I think that that is a difficult switch to make. And it's not easy. So what we're probably, we did psychology reading, what, in 2018, 17? Yeah. So, 2015. 
So we're talking a lot of years here. Almost 10 years ago. Doesn't In a have... decade, you're going to be fine. Yeah. <laughs> but no, it doesn't have to be. It's not that slow, but it's just like it's an evolution. And so people think that their hunger and all of these things have to happen yesterday. But we need to remember that it's an evolution. They are an evolution. Every part of us is an evolution. So our hunger and what we def- want it to be and how we want it to show up in our life is an evolution. And it's not this or that. Yeah. 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 And that's why our work, I think, is so interesting because it is about self-discovery. It's not like come and lose 20 pounds. Right. There's so much more to it than just focusing on what you should or should not eat to be losing weight or to change your health. Yeah. Well, let's end with some action steps. Like, what are some things that people can do? How can they start paying attention to hunger? Well, we mentioned before, just checking in from time to time into your plate, right? So doing that. And then when you are getting ready to eat, there's a scale that we like to use, the hunger scale of negative 10 being the most hungry, hangry you've ever been to plus 10, the most full Thanksgiving you've ever meal, family experience you've ever had. And zero is somewhere in between. Like you're not, you're neither. You're not hungry. You're not full. And so when you go to eat, where are you on that scale? Are you a negative eight? Are you a negative four? Start to notice where you might put yourself on that number scale. And then when you're done, see where you are. Like, how full are you? Like, just kind of see. Start to notice that. And I tell people it could be like being on a bus or a train stop. Even if you don't stop at like a plus two or a plus four, can you just like notice the street you're on? Like, let's just take inventory of i don't know what what do i think a negative two or a negative four feels like even Mm -hmm. if i stop at a or plus two plus four even if i stop at a six or an eight or whatever just getting to notice the sensations in your body is going to help you in the long run Mm -hmm. yes and then also this is challenging because we tend to move on so quickly to something else is check in about 10 to 15 minutes after you've finished eating and see has your fullness changed sometimes we get fuller Because if we ate fast, you know, our brain didn't go along for the ride with us, with our stomach. And so then we realize, oh, wow, we are really full. But sometimes you might notice, oh, I'm just right. Or "Mm, maybe I could eat a little bit more. Let me go see. Yeah. Once you build awareness, I always tell people there's three phases of awareness, which I'll cover super quickly. So there's the step one is just noticing after the fact. So maybe you ate a meal and then it was after the fact. We're like, oh, I'm so over full. And then step two would be noticing, like, in the moment as you're eating, you're like, oh, I am, I'm noticing my fullness. But you're not necessarily stopping. You're just aware of the sensation of being full. And then mm-hmm. step three is having the awareness and then perhaps making change in the moment. So you notice that you're feeling full and then that's when you would stop. So a lot of times people think, like, step one or step two is a failure or that they're not making progress, like, especially step two, because they're like, I see it happening in real time, but I'm not doing anything. And then they're beating themselves up for not stopping or not taking action. And I'm like, no, two is along the way. You're all, you're halfway there. You know, you just got to keep noticing and then eventually you'll get to three. So just don't sweat it. Yeah, because the right step hasn't presented itself on how to get out of that. But you're being aware. And so it's working on it. If you have any questions about hunger, we would love to answer them. Just send us a DM on Instagram. If you're not following us on Instagram, please do. 
Yes. So about hunger, we want to really just, you know, final up with this statement. It's not about restriction. It's not about binging. It's not about weight control. It's just about taking that stock in about and being in touch with yourself and what's best for you not what somebody else says you should be doing. Yeah, it's empowerment. Because I think when you're trying a plan or somebody tells you you should eat this many calories or this many macros or this is how much food should be on your plate, it's like you're letting somebody outside of you tell you what's right for you. Mm -hmm. But like, I don't know, my plate could look different on any given day and I feel comfortable with that because I know what fits inside my body. Absolutely. I sure hope we gave you something new to think about today and helped you take one more step on your path to freeing yourself from diet culture. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and follow us on Instagram at path underscore nutrition. We'd love to see you inside our interactive online course called Foundations, which we go over this hunger and everything involved in it so you can continue to work on this with yourself and so go to pathnutrition.com backslash foundations to learn more and sign up today bye bye everyone